It's the Rush Fancast. It's Steve and Jerry, your companions unobtrusive. Nice. I How like about that. that? You like yeah, that? That's, yeah, I do. It's very apt for this episode. Very apt. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are The Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. We appreciate all the emails. We appreciate the baseline from Lex, the spirit of radio. Also very apt for today's podcast. Yes, thanks, Lex. And Jared, today's guest on the Rush Fancast is another companion unobtrusive. We'll get to that soon. But first, I have a Twitter poll for you. Nice. Another chance to get it right. Let's go. If you recall, a few weeks ago, we talked about signals. Yes. And I asked the Twitter Rush fans what their favorite song on side one of signals is. Would you like the choices? Yeah. Let's hear them again. Subdivisions, The Analog Kid, Chemistry, and Digital Man. What do you think? Well, I think I'm just going to have to go with the obvious answer and say, and say subdivisions. You are correct. And it was yeah. a landslide. 56% of our listeners chose subdivisions. Subdivision, Steve, is a great song. It Have is. you ever noticed that? It is. It's fantastic. <laughs> the Analog Kid came in second, 29%. Digital Man, 9%. And Chemistry, poor old Chemistry, only 6% on the poll. Poor old Chemistry. Love the song, but tough competition. It is, yeah. So you got an email for us, Jer? I do. It's a little, uh, it might be a little long. Okay. But maybe that's why I chose it. Uh, this is from Dale. Hey, Dale. He says, gents, first, well done with the podcast. I love the focus on the lyrics. Second, I am a huge Rush fan and believe I have been one for just a bit longer than you. I think I am one year younger than you. I turned 50 this past May. So happy birthday. One year and happy birthday. Yeah. Third, I intend to respond to your podcast, and to do this, you should know my biases. My introduction of Rush was listening to Permanent Waves on a ski bus trip. Could not get enough. This was shortly before the release of Grace Under Pressure. I worked backward and forward from there and trended toward preferring the prog metal phase, Caress of Steel, through Hemispheres, but loved Permanent Waves as well. I tailed off with the release of Hold Your Fire and could not listen to Presto. Really? Yeah, that's what he's saying. I started listening again around Vapor Trails time. And as a demonstration of my having married up, I got to see R40 in Philadelphia because my wife secretly got tickets, train tickets, and hotel reservations for my birthday. Now, when he says married up, does he mean financially? Um, maybe just quality. I don't know anything about, <laughs> I don't know anything about Dale. Just a basic humanity. I'm not sure exactly what he means. I have a hard time with the music, not the lyrics on Hold Your Fire, Presto, and Roll the Bones. Of the three, I think Hold Your Fire stands up better than the other two, each of which, however, I believe have their virtues. My basic view is this. Rush's strength musically was in the combination of their hard rock chops and creativity in style and song structure. Yes, they could write some beautiful songs, most recently The Garden, which for me lyrically sums up the band but they were never songwriters at a Joel, Simon, McCartney, or Dylan level. They were at their best, not when they wrote songs, in quotes, but when they created music and blended their ridiculous musicianship with the lyrics Neil put out there. I think, for example, that The Pass and War Paint on Presto, for me, one of the least satisfying albums, are good examples of that. But Ghostwriter on Vapor Trails and Free Will and Permanent Waves are staggering examples of that. Rush were at their best when, musically, they make you pay attention 
And I think the late 80s, early 90s rush were not as compelling in this way. Having said that, paraphrasing Billy Corgan, Rush at their weakest is still a whole lot more interesting, engaging, and entertaining than most of what is out there. Well, thanks for the email, Dale. Appreciate that. Can't say I agree with them, though, Jer. I think Rush were great songwriters. Yeah, I agree. I mean, definitely all of the songwriters that he mentioned are different from each other. Oh, yeah. I mean... Is it one type of songwriter in that list? And I think Rush is just another type of songwriter. Right. I mean... Can you put them up against Dylan and McCartney? Maybe not. I guess it depends on, on what you think of Dylan and McCartney. Right, exactly. To each his own. Yes. One man's meat is another man's poison, Steve. And rushes are meat. Right. Is, is that what you said? <laughs> I think it's meat. I think the phrase is mead because oh, mead. mead is a drink. <laughs> no, but people do say meat. <laughs> but I think the phrase is mead because meat is a drink and so would poison be. I don't know. All right. Okay. I get it. I get it. So, Jared, if you live in the New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia area, you know this voice. She's also one of the biggest Rush fans you will ever meet. Not only a friend of the show, but a friend of ours for a long time. Program director of WDHA in New Jersey, Terry Carr. Welcome to the Rush Fancast. I'm so happy that you guys uh, invited me. Thank you so much. You know, I'm part of the girls forgetty movement oh wow that's a movement <laughs> because you know i think it's sort of a myth an urban legend that there are not that many female rush fans now i think back in the day perhaps we were a rare breed but i think that the torch for the ladies loving rush has been carried and i think we're, we're a growing movement you know I, I remember a funny story i bought a very expensive pair of uh, Gucci sunglasses way out of my budget years ago. <laughs> and I wore them to see Rush at uh, what was probably at the time the Garden State Art Center. Now it's the PMC Back Art Center. And um, hot night. So I'm in the ladies room and I'm virtually by myself. And I leave this pair on the sink because I'm washing my hands and I forget to put them back on my head and I leave. I'm like five songs into the show. I'm like, oh my gosh, where are my few hundred dollar sunglasses? I probably left him in the ladies' room. Oh, they're probably gone. And of course, I went back, and they were sitting right there on the. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there were that many ladies, you know, back in the back in the day, going back to the ladies' room at PNC. Right. So, why do you think that myth started, Terry? Why no Rush fans back in the seventies? Let's say no women Rush fans. You know what? Because I I don't think Rush was writing necessarily about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It, it was a more heady experience. And I think if you were one of these ladies that, and Steve, you and me have been friends for a really, really, really long time. And you once said to me, I can't wait to hear this. You're a man's woman. You're <laughs> comfortable hanging out with the men and the men are comfortable hanging out with you. And I think that there is some truth to that because I was always like that. I was always kind of like a tomboy in my head. And I think if you were a girl that hung out a lot with the guys Instead of hanging out a lot with the girls, the guys had the propensity to be Rush fans and the girls maybe had the propensity to be more like Journey fans. I was a fan of both. I'm not going to lie. But I really became a Rush fan in my junior high years because of my male friends that I grew up hanging around with. And I think if you were a lady who grew up hanging around with a lot of guys, you could possibly be a Rush fan. Um, and if you were a lady hanging around with a lot of girls, maybe not so much. So we were going to ask you what your Rush origin story was. When was the first time you heard Rush? I remember it so distinctly. Uh, a friend of mine's brother was in a band. 
cover band. And I went to see the band play one of these sort of fairs, like a town fair kind of thing. And they opened up with Anthem. Wow. And I was like, what the hell is this? And they were wearing like kimonos. Like it was a whole experience. It wasn't just like, you know, Anthem of the Hunt. And I was like the whole thing. And I said, who is this band? And I forgot about it. I'm not going to lie. I was maybe in uh, sixth grade, maybe fifth, sixth grade. And then someone played me Spirit of Radio. And that was my real first experience. And it was an experience for me that changed my life for many reasons. Because, of course, when I heard Spirit of Radio and went out immediately and bought Permanent Waves, I loved the cover. There was nothing about that record I didn't love. I I was like, oh, my God, who is this beautiful woman on the cover? And what is it like? It was like sort of like she was showing a little, but she wasn't showing. And, you know, it was was just I was freaked out by it. Like, I didn't know what it was. It was a different, whole different thing than I was used to. But that song for me changed everything about the course of my life. Now, did that have anything to do with you getting into radio? Had everything to do with it. Everything to do with it. There were two things that changed my life in getting into radio. That was first and foremost, the number one thing, because the opening line of that song, when people ask, what's the best opening line of any song? For me, it's always begin the day with a friendly voice. And then I learned later on, you know, a companion unobtrusive, you know, where that came from. But I just couldn't imagine. I I felt that song. You know, I was a kid who got up in the middle of the night, went and turned the radio on and listened to the people doing overnights at different stations, like, you know, 99X and all these different radio stations, DHA. So that song really connected with me for that reason. And I, there was nothing I didn't love about that song. I pictured the radio towers and everything crackling with life. And there was just nothing in that song that didn't connect with me. And that was a big game changer for me. And then the other thing that was a game changer was when I heard that Jimi Hendrix wrote a song about Alison Steele, who was a radio personality called Nightbird Flying. And I thought, wow she's on the radio and Jimi Hendrix is writing songs about her. So those two things for me made me want to be somebody who was involved in radio. And I never wanted to do anything else. There was nothing else that was appealing to me. I didn't want to, you know, work in any other business or industry. I just wanted to be on the radio um, because of those two moments. Wow. So uh, Russia's spirit of radio was dedicated to CFNY in Toronto, which was a free form radio station. Now, I know when you started at DHA, DHA was a freeform radio station, was it not? It was. We had, and Steve, when you and I were there together, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the pegboard? Were you there for the pegboard or did you come right after the pegboard? I don't remember the pegboard. There was a pegboard and there were little pegs and there were songs that were sort of like the new cool hip songs that you could play. And if you played one of those songs, you had to hit the peg on the pegboard. So the person that was coming in after you didn't play the same song and there was a lot of sort of diversity on the station. So yeah, DHA was super free form. So when you went there, you had to know about music. Now I went there for my first interview as a very young girl. And I remember the owner at the time, Bob Linder had said to me, you're too young. I'm going to give you a little radio quiz. And he quizzed me on bands and I passed in towns in New Jersey to make sure that like, regionally i knew that bernardsville was not bernardsville and i knew how to pronounce things and i passed but he just said i think you're a little bit too young so come back in five years and i went back in two years and ultimately they hired me but at the time to be on dha you had to be a musicologist you had to know everything 
from Motley Crue to the Del Fuegos to Rush to, you know, you really had to be a fan of music. And that was the beauty of that radio station at the time. Um, you really couldn't fake it. There was no faking it when you got there. And that's because you had to choose your own songs. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you had to fill. I mean, if you had a five-hour air shift, you had to fill five hours of airtime with things and talk about them. Because it sort of wasn't like, you know, oh, you know, you say to the people, oh, now the economy of words, you know, kind of get on and gone and say a lot with a little. Nah, back then you could just you could just go. Yeah. You could just roll. You could tell a Getty Lee story for 25 minutes. So, yeah, you really had to know of what you spoke and you had to know the bands and you had to know the local artists. There was a big local scene at the time with local artists, you know, trying to break through. So it was a really exciting and energizing time to begin your career in radio. So do you think freeform radio can ever exist again, Terry, or is it gone forever? You know, I kind of ebb and flow with that because times change. And I think for us not to have an open mind is, is probably the worst you know, the worst thing. Look, WDHA has been such a successful radio station for so many years. We're probably going on 45 years now. And, you know, ratings wise, I mean, I hate to throw ratings out there, but we're the number one rated station in our market with adults. And when I say adults, I'm talking like people 18 plus. 18 plus is a big deal for us. And we are still such a unique sounding radio station where we are playing new stuff and we're playing stuff from 50 years ago and we're playing deep rush cuts. Like today was Double Play Wednesday. So uh, I did a Rush double play and I did Far Cry and Red Sector A. You're not going to hear those, (laughs) you know, on a New York radio station. You're going to hear, what are you going to hear on New York radio? You're going to hear Tom Sawyer, Spirit of Radio and Limelight. I can't think of anything else that you would possibly hear on a New York or major market station. We're in a very unique position. So there is still some form of that free form feeling to the station, which has been the thing that has kept me there. Um, I left, I went to satellite, I was out of the station for um, five full years, programming other formats and and stuff, but there's never really been a place that's as unique as DHA. So I think that when I think about coming full circle, and I think of the spirit of radio being a song that inspired my life and a lot of my career, it's still happening. You know, it's still happening for me. Do you think rock fans are more knowledgeable about music than radio consultants give them credit for? I mean, you mentioned you play a lot of deep rush tracks and other stations will only play the three or four that everybody knows. I think our audiences, unfortunately, are highly underestimated. And I I think the opportunity to constantly be able to make a first impression with new people coming into your market is so incredibly important. And uh, yeah, I mean, and, and the days of people thinking too, that you play 150 songs and nobody's, you know, at those days or I see those days leaving. And I think a lot of new technology that some programmers are, are not really happy to embrace is a big part of that. Uh, I think there's a, a big new music discovery and new music doesn't always mean current based. I think that young kids are discovering bands all the time because everything now is so accessible to us. You don't have to own an album to hear an album. You don't have to, wait for, you know, and a band to come on the radio and do an interview to be able to find an interview that a band did on the radio somewhere at some point. So everything is so accessible. So I think, you know, that the opportunity for bands to have a fan base is never ending. It's 24, seven, 365 now. Yeah. My younger daughter and my older daughter, they listen to some of the strangest music because they find it anywhere. My older daughter loves like bagpipes. So she's listening to 
Irish artists that have been around for like 40 years that I've never heard of in my life. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's so accessible. So yeah, I think if you're still thinking, you know, in that world of radio consultants, and we do work with a radio consultant, but I'm so grateful to work with him because he's he's a man about new ideas about information on new technology because everything is being thrown at us, you know, so much. And, um, you know, when I think about it, I think that Russia is like the perfect band, you know, to talk about all of that new technology and, and everything, because they were always a band that I just thought was always so way ahead of the curve yet always kept and held their integrity. Do you have an all request segment to your show every day? Am I right, Terry? Yeah. Noon. You talk to your listeners every day. Mm-hmm. What's the feedback you get? about Rush from your listeners? We are probably uh, one of the most passionate Rush stations. I would uh, tend to say the most passionate Rush station in the country. Our listeners love Rush. They always do very well when we do our WDHA. We do something called Rock Madness Battles. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily just that sort of niche thing. And I think all the Rush fans, we always thought it was just us. I mean, didn't you guys sometimes think it was sort of just you? that was in this little unique kind of club. Just me and Jerry, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Steve, when I worked with you and we (laughs) saw each other every day, we were, you know, we would always compare notes and talk about Rush and everything. But it's true. You always think that you're sort of in this niche, little, unique club. And then you end up finding out that that's not necessarily true. I call myself on the air all the time whenever I play Rush. I'm the self-proclaimed Rush geek. And I will always say, you know, Rush Geeks, you know, that one's for you. And I will always get email from people or people will hashtag things with me, you know, Rush Geek forever because they know that, um, you know, I'm one of them and they're one of me. And there's a lot more women than I thought initially, you know, and over the years, you know, everybody's like, oh, TC, I'm a Rush Geek just like you. And um, yeah, I think the exclusive club's not necessarily that exclusive. Plus you have artists that have come out and, and spoken about, what the band has meant to them, whether it's members of Rage Against the Machine or Dave Grohl, um, who talk about their experience, you know, those moments in Freaks and Geeks, you know, the TV show (laughs) where, you know, uh, Jason Siegel is there. I always looked at that Linda Cardellini character with her army jacket. And I was like, oh my God, that was me. That was me with that group of people. And I think um, you don't put that in a TV show if there's not a lot of people that can sort of bond with that kind of, you know, vibe. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think we're kind of crawling out of the woodwork these days. And, um, you know, I think people like Dave Grohl give us legitimacy. You know, you're not a freeform radio station, but you do play deep rush cuts. Well, deep for maybe not the, the, the big fans, but nothing's deep. There's no deep rush cuts for there, true it, rush It's fans. never deep enough. I will yeah. tell you that, you know, where people will say like, oh, you guys just played, you know, Bastille Day or Anthem or something. And, you know, but you got to play this, you know, like right. there's always something <laughs> deeper for the rush fans, you know. Right. And, and, but, but trust me, I will throw them that. I will throw them that bone. You know, uh, I'm like, you know what? Done. 2112? Oh, absolutely. Abs- no question about it. 20 minutes. Take a break. You can play. You're playing Rivendell, Terry. <laughs> well, and you know what? You know what's funny, too? <laughs> they also like a lot of the, you know, we're also a station that plays a lot of the, the latter Rush tunes, which you cannot say for many radio stations at all. I mean, when yeah. did, you know. Big money. 
big money. <laughs> if, if you're if you're that lucky, you're just an early warning or something. Maybe right. I don't maybe. even know. You know, but we've been there through every rush record, and uh, I think when we lost Neil, that was the biggest moment for me seeing how the fans really feel about this band. Yeah, I mean, you never really appreciate things, I guess, until they're no more, right? And when Neil passed away, everyone was like, oh my God, were you never, ever going to see Rush again? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think just, it was such a shock to people. It yeah. wasn't like that artist that you'd heard the rumors that maybe they were ill. You know, this was one of those things where I was like, no, no. You know, I was sitting at my desk and then and, and I got a text from someone and I was like, no, no, absolutely not. Can't be. And then all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. And, um, you know, so, yeah. And we just went literally at that moment. Thankfully, my afternoon guy, Mike Anthony, is a huge, massive Rush fan. He's a drummer. So I just went in and I was like, it's all you, all Rush, whatever you want to do. Just go, just go. And that was our programming for the rest of the day. Wow. Yeah. You know what Jerry and I always talk about? It's It was like losing a family member. It really was. Yeah. 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 You, you couldn't imagine. And I think my most incredible rush experience was uh, when a friend of mine that was working for Atlantic Records, you know, the cool record executives, you know, they have the all access pass and they can kind of go anywhere. And um, we went back behind the curtains at PNC and we were right behind Neil's kit and watched three quarters of the show, probably seven feet from him. And um, he was like, I could get in trouble for this. but let it, And we were just so quiet and just so mesmerized. And the sound was very different for us back, you know, back there. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. like, it wasn't house sound or anything. We didn't really know what was going on. But we were so in the zone that it was a moment that I will never, ever, ever forget. And probably not a moment that many people have had in their lives. And I'm so grateful for that because I knew, I knew it was never going to come again. It was one of those sort of everything meeting up at the same time opportunities, but it was like something I will never, ever forget. It was just tremendous. It was, it still floors me to this moment when I talk about it. So you've had the honor of interviewing Getty Lee a few times, have you not? Yes. And he's so sweet that, well, that's the thing. I thought I would be so starstruck when he came to the station. Were you there, Steve, when he came? I was not, unfortunately. You'd already left. He came to the station I want to say twice. And um, he was just such a, I thought I would be more like, it's Getty. But he was such a warm, generous, nice person that just taking him to help him show where to make coffee and where to get water and showing him the, you know, the free reign of the station. Here's where the men's room is. You know, you got free reign. So just here's where this is and, you know, whatever you need from us. And he was just such a warm, generous person. He wanted to talk more baseball than music <laughs> so you know I'm, I'm i'm sort of like a I'm, I'm like a medium female baseball fan i'm not like a total novice but you know i'm not like the biggest baseball talker i wanted to talk rush of course and he wanted to talk baseball but he was such a generous warm sweet person that that's what floored me the most uh, about him you know and it's such an easy guy to interview too just didn't want to make anything difficult smiling just a really nice great happy face he came during the soul he came during his solo record which was interesting 
So we talked a little about that, a little, you know, about that. But he was just such a, a generous, uh, generous soul, generous spirit, very, very easy to talk to and easy to be around. So you and Getty have something in common, Terry. Your love of dogs. Yes. <laughs> Do you know? Getty's dogs' names? I don't know them. I actually do not know them. He has two Norwich Terriers. I knew that. Their names are Stanley and Lucy Wasserman. I love that. <laughs> and the reason he named them that is because they bicker like a married couple. It's fabulous. The Wassermans. <laughs> the is Wassermans. What he calls them. Uh, we we kind of re- remember the Wassermans, don't we? <laughs> we do remember the Wassermans. <laughs> we do remember the Wassermans. What are your dogs' names? What kind of dogs do you have again, Terry? I have uh, ter- two terriers. You know, one, we don't know what she is. She's sort of a who's your daddy rescue. <laughs> Could have like nine different parents, you know, nine different fathers from a hoarding situation. But I, I, I have two as well. I have Scarlett and Rosie. Why don't you tell us about the rock and rough thing you do with WDHA? I think people will be interested in that. Yeah, Rock and Rough is really cool. Um, I figured I would use my big mouth um, <laughs> to help homeless animals because our shelters were overrun. So I started it. Um, I actually left DHA for five years and and did, you know, was doing some other radio mediums, including satellite and um, started this at another radio station that I worked at and then brought it with me to WDHA because a little bit goes a long way. And if you can help out your shelters um, and talk about, how many great animals are in local animal shelters? Um, animals end up in shelters really of no fault of their own. The top three reasons are uh, people are moving, people are getting divorced, and people had a baby, and it's just too much for them to deal with. So um, animals end up in shelters, fabulous, adoptable animals. And when I heard that three to four million animals were dying in animal shelters every year, I just thought that's completely unacceptable. So I said, ah, let's bring the animals out to WDHA. We'll bring them out. We'll film them here. And we'll uh, put something on the air about them and we'll send people to the, the website so they could see them, you know, as opposed to us going out to an animal shelter, which sometimes is very depressing for people. And it doesn't look, you know, sometimes it's a little dirty and it's, it's the dogs are stressed in the cages. I wanted them on our couches. You know, I wanted like a uh, hookers and beer kind of vibe for them. I wanted them to just be like having a great time and have it look like, this, you know, like the bunny ranch, like for animals, like where they were just having such an awesome time that they would never want to leave. Because if they were on our couch cuddling with us, people could picture them like on their couch cuddling with them as opposed to being in a cage and trying to get our attention and barking. So we've had probably... Um, 10,000 animals adopted Wow! from Rock and Rough. And the cool thing about it is it's morphed into a hybrid where we do events now where rockers come out and they do a rock for rescue with us at events and people come out and we've morphed it into a calendar where we've raised tens of thousands of dollars for local animal shelters. So one thing kind of leads to another thing kind of leads to another thing. And, um, you know, being in the COVID pandemic, I haven't been able to interact with the animal shelters quite as much because everybody's been in lockdown and not, you know, socially distanced and stuff. And that's really the thing I miss so much is um, I said, I've been working with shelter dogs for 15 years. I've never been looked at crooked. I've never been growled at. I've (laughs) never been bitten. I mean, that's so far from my psyche, you know, the, but I have been, you know, kissed to death and had my head in the mouth of a giant pit bull over and over, you know? Um, So it's been very rewarding for me to be able to use my voice to help, uh, to help these shelter pets um, find great forever homes. And the funny part about it is I've had people adopt them and they have been named mostly Getty. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> but, but named after Rush songs, Rush members um, come to events in Rush shirts. It's been pretty incredible. It's like the uh, copy bars at the zoo at the Toronto zoo are named Getty, <laughs> Alex and Neil. 
<laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it's like. And Terry, what can what are you doing now, or what can people do now for dogs and shelters? I mean, the shelters are probably hurting for funds. I'm going to be honest with you. Fundraising has taken a hit. So there's, you know, there's a lot of ways to help out. I always tell people because people will be like, give me a shelter to help out. And I always say, no, go to your Google shelters in your local community because everybody really needs help. So I never like to tell anybody where you should go. You know, I've got some great local shelters that I work with. We have them on our WDHA website. But the ironic thing I will tell you is when everybody got the work from home order, a lot of people decided to adopt and foster animals. And a lot of the animals that got fostered ended up because they were in homes with people for two or three or four months. And people really said, you know what? Yeah, this guy's working out great. My shelters, we were all afraid that there would be a whole big, when people started going back to work, return rate sort of, you know, but it didn't happen. So um, adoptions really did well for a lot of the local animal shelters, which um, made me feel so much better during this. Um, Fundraising has definitely taken a hit. Um, Animal shelters, you can drop, drop your stuff off right outside. You can go to their websites and find out what they need. They always need cages and food, cleaning supplies, paper towels, all that kind of stuff. Um, So really anything that you can do, if you can volunteer, take some dogs for a walk. I always say dog therapy is, you know, dog therapy is fantastic. Go to a local animal shelter, take a couple of dogs out for a walk. Um, Foster if you can, if you've got a little room in your house. And usually the dogs in foster are there for an average of three weeks. So it's not a long commitment until they find forever homes. But there's so many different ways people can help out um, their local animal shelters. Without, you know, if you can't adopt, a lot of people can't adopt. They're very busy, but there's still certainly things you can do. And get three so you can name them Getty, Alex, and Neil. I need one more and I'll change, I'll change the girls' names. I'll I'll absolutely change the girls' names with just one more. So how many times would you say you've seen Rush, Terry? Do do you keep count or have you lost count? I don't keep count, um, but it's well, probably, I would probably, I think it's well over 25 for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're, we're about right there between 25 and 30. I'm probably well over 25. My first experience, I was very young. I was a kid. It was 1981. It was moving pictures. It was at oh, the wow. then Brendan Byrne Arena. Wow. And I went with a whole bunch of guys from my junior high class. One of them had a brother who drove. He was in high school. And I was the only girl. And I, you know, everybody's like, we're buying a ticket. We're buying tickets. We went to the, used to go to this local ticket. He was like a broker. I mean, we paid extra money to get them from a broker. And uh, we went to the Brendan Byrne Arena and we saw Rush during the Moving Pictures Tour. And it was just, it was magic for me. I mean, it was everything on those records came to life. And it was only three guys. I know it was three guys. I mean, my first ever concert when I was a kid was Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. There's a lot of members there. (laughs) There's a lot of people in the E Street Band. And then you go back to the Rush show and there's all this great, wonderful, loud noise. And it's three guys and this really long drum solo where you're and the kit is never ending. You know, it's like in Freaks and Geeks where he started, it doesn't doesn't end, you know? So it, it was really a an incredible experience for me to be able to be at that tour um, as my first rush tour, you know, because of course moving pictures was such a groundbreaking record for them. It turned, I I remember every video, you know, um, shot and uh, watching vital, the vital signs video and the levels are going up and down and, you know, I lived it, 
you know, seeing them during that tour. So um, that was a magic moment for me and one I'll never forget. So we thought it would be fun to count down our top three Rush live performances in our concert going careers. Wow. What do you think of that? Yeah, let's, let's try. Let's try it. Okay. So why don't we start with you, Terry? Give us your number three. We'll go from three to one. Uh, number three, I guess I would probably have to say, because I think it came full circle for me, it was probably R40 at um, Prudential Center. Were you, were you and me oh, there yeah. the same night, Steve? Yeah, we were there. Yeah. I loved it because for me, it was that full circle moment of me being a kid. And it's funny because when I went uh, to R40, I was with, I started my rush journey with all my male friends from junior high. And I ended my rush journey with all my male friends from the record industry. So I went with our station photographer and I went with my friend, Gary J and um, Rob Baldwin. My other friend, Rob Baldwin from the record community was all was with us as well. And uh, I'm trying to think if there was one more person with us, but it was me with all the guys. Again, it was a guy's night out as normal, you know, during a rush show. And, um, um, so that would probably be my number three. And I, I thought it was a dynamic tour. It was uh, poignant and sad for me because there was something in my heart that I knew I wouldn't see them again. I don't know what it was, but I remember we all walked out that night and my friend Joe looked at me and said, I don't know. I feel kind of weird. It was just, we had this weird feeling that that was sort of it, I think. Yeah, yeah. The stage was getting broken down and, you know, and you're just like, Wait, where's everything? What's happening? No. I know. That was the most amazing thing about that tour. Because the first time, we, we saw it twice on that tour, I think. And the first time I saw it, I was just enraptured with the music. Like, oh my God, they're, they're playing songs, you know, chronologically, but in reverse. So I just was loving the song selection. And then the next night, and the next time we saw them, I just watched the stage being taken apart. I'm there was the rotisserie chickens and the <laughs> and the... And, you know, the dryers and, yeah. and things like that. And I was like, oh, my God, I remember all of those things. It was great. So what's your number three, Jer? Uh, well, my number three is all of mine are, are particular songs. Okay. That uh, I just remember. The, and number three is seeing them play Red Barchetta on the Presto Tour. Why the Presto on, Tour? Because that was the first time we saw them play Red Barchetta. Ah. At least when we were fans, right? And I don't know if you remember this tour, Steve, or this particular show that we saw them at. I had different seats than you did. I, me- I don't remember if you remember how it, it shook out. I don't remember that. We had like, I don't know, six seats, but somebody, but I, my girlfriend wanted to go at the time. Oh, uh, the girlfriend. So we bought extra te- seats and sat someplace else. Steve, and, you got shut out. Yeah, I totally <laughs> Well, he did. had better seats. He had better seats down. <laughs> I was a little further up. Girlfriend didn't want to sit next to me, Terry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and she had, wasn't really into, into Rush that much, but she really liked the show. And there was just something about hearing them play Red Barchetta because, you know, back then you couldn't find out what songs they were going to play. There was no way to really look at the set list before you went. So it was like a huge surprise. And it was just, I don't know, one of the best moments. I was just really, really rocking out there. Jerry did not marry that girl, Terry. the one that dissed you on the rush seat all right steve so i'm looking for your number three moment and then i also i want to talk to you i want to ask you guys something when we're done doing this too because i have a question for you guys i knew this was going to happen i knew this was going to morph into you interviewing us this is great i said that to you steve we should just let her take the ring (laughs) so my number three is every single show i saw the spirit of radio 
that song, mm. just the fact that they involved the audience so much and the crowd was so into it for the spirit of radio, that's the thing I remember most about every single show is that particular song and how the crowd was so into it and the band was so into it and, you know, concert hall, the lights go up. Yeah. Just an amazing, yeah. amazing feeling yeah. seeing that song live. So that's my number three. And Terry, number two. Number two, uh, I, I think I'm going to have to circle back to um, my first Rush show uh, during Moving Pictures because I, I think the world kind of stopped for me that night. And that was really when, you know, you can see a band, but you don't become sort of like that kind of faniac, like that faniac, you know. Um, and I've seen a, a lot of different bands. But I, and I, Rosie, I'm sorry, that's my dog. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I thought that no, was fine. one of we'll, your dogs. I'm sorry. It's, that's my Rosie. I'm sorry. Come here. Bring come her here. in. <laughs> yeah, bring her in. Right, Let's see Keep Rosie. Quiet. Oh, there, Rosie. there she is. I There's love Rosie it. Carr. Nine pounds of fucking fender. Um, I, think, I think for me, but I think it was that first show for me. Because I knew, at, you know, when you see a show that you know is going to change your life forever, um, that changed my life forever. It changed everything about um, who I was, the kind of music that I liked. Because Rush opened me up to other bands. I started then becoming more of a progressive rock fan. And, um, you know, opening my eyes to, you know, the sort of the Rush offshoot bands, Triumph or Saga, or, and then I, I really started getting into Yes, because I, it was a whole other, you know, uh, genre of music for me to enjoy other than metal or things that had a poppy feel. So um, that would probably be my number two, because um, everything changed for me when I got to see that tour. And, you know, they looked to me just like they looked on MTV. You know, it was like it was these three guys and I didn't know a whole lot about them. And yet um, they were always bigger than life. Some bands are always bigger than life. And Rush was bigger than life for me from the day I saw them. And um, I, I never, ever got lost. There was never anything they, they did where I was like, oh, I'm kind of lost here. You know, like you kind of get with artists. So that was my number two. My first show was number two. Yeah, I totally agree. That never happened. They, they were on the top of their game from beginning to end. Jerry, you're number two. Uh, my number two is the show that we saw at Jones Beach on the Time Machine Tour. Oh, yes. Just because Jones, we saw them once before at, uh, at Jones Beach, but Jones Beach is just a great place to see a show. Yeah, very amazing. It is a great, it's amazing. Yeah, amazing. For, for an outdoor place, the sound is amazing and the scenery is amazing, especially when all the boats come in, right? People on their boats, they just kind of circle around to listen for free. But, you know, they played uh, Moving Pictures in its entirety, which was just the most amazing thing to hear the whole thing. And I love when artists like Springsteen did that. He did a bunch of full shows. And I saw him do Darkness on the Edge of Town, which I love. It's my favorite album of his. And I just love when bands play entire albums. And when they played, you know, Moving Pictures, I, just, I, I stood there for about 45 minutes, didn't say a word. Just listen to everything. It was just almost transcendent. And Jerry let me sit next to him during that show, Terry. Very nice of him. <laughs> <laughs> so my number two is the first time I saw Rush at PNC Bank Arts Center. I don't know what the year was, but it was the first time I saw them do Natural Science. Mm -hmm. And that was just the one song that I was 
dying to hear them do live. And when they did it, I was over the moon. And you've got the video screen with the colors flying and the lights. It was just phenomenal. And I, I told Jerry when we talked about natural science on the podcast that if I were stoned, I would have lost my mind. It was so good. <laughs> Thank God I was sober because I almost lost my mind and, and I was stone cold sober. So I remember, well, I remember the, my, my first show, which was my number two moment of uh, vital signs did that for me when I saw them do vital signs at the then Brendan burn arena, you know, that became the Meadowlands arena. And uh, it was just, it was uh, mind blowing for me, you know, watching them do vital signs on that moving picture store. It was incredible. We read that it took a while for fans to come around to that song. Do you remember that back in 1981 that fans didn't take to that song very well? No, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I was surprised to hear that. Neil talked about it. And I guess at the shows, the crowd didn't get into it as much. I, I'm, I'm floored. Wow. But they played it anyway, and they kept playing it until people liked it. And then they stopped playing it. <laughs> I was a 15-year-old girl that was going nuts. It's like they're playing vital signs. Well, it was a lot like the police. And you were a big police fan also, right? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe yeah. that's why you liked it so much. Yeah. Perhaps. 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 My one complaint, though, always, not enough good merch for the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. And, and we'll never get it back. It's not like it's going to improve. It's still very hard, you know. I I have I have I'm a I'm the queen of shirts, but I only have two rush shirts, you know. I have the rash rush shirt, the one that Getty has. All right, we'll keep our eyes open for you, My Terry. rash shirt. Yeah. What what's your number one rush live performance moment? For me? For you. Next to Neil's kit. Oh yeah, there you go. There was nothing there there will never be anything. That's probably my live concert moment in all the years that I've been going to concerts. Because you know what? He he was such a private person. And there was a part of me that was so, I almost felt intrusive and I, I felt like I didn't belong there. And yet I was still willing to take that chance of getting like kicked out and screamed at um, because he was so private and it was, I felt like we were kind of invading his personal space, sort of, you know, hiding behind there. But that was a, that was my, my number one moment because it was a moment that was not one that I expected was one I knew I would never get again. And another that I knew I was incredibly lucky to be experiencing. And, you know, thankfully being in radio helped me to be able to experience that. And, um, you know, and, and also I always took part in the, I, I, of course I had to take part, make sure the listeners were taken care of in the rush meet and greets. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was always a lot of fun. Neil was, you know, as you know, never at the meet and greets, of course, but Getty and Alex were always so fantastic. And um, it, it was just always nice, not only to be able to just say a quick hi, but to see the fans get to stand in line and get, get a handshake and get a photo and, and just, you know, um, there are certain bands that you do a meet and greet and people are just like, ah, it's a meet and greet. And then there is a rush meet and greet. And that's a whole different vibe. And I still have a photo from one of the first ones that I did. Probably, I think one of my listeners was there and he said it was 2000 maybe. And uh, it's still one of my favorite photos of all time. And I still post it all the time because I oh, just Oh, yeah, love it. yeah. I've seen that. I've seen you post that on social media. Because we're all like smiling. We're having a really good time, you know. And um, yeah, I just, it was just a, an amazing, a, amazing moment. So I think of PNC 
Bank Art Center and some of my great Rush moments. I've seen so many Rush shows at PNC, but my Neil experience and the meet and greet experience experiences that I did there were always just uh, something that I'll always carry with me. So, Jerry, you're number one? Well, the number one is has to be the first time that we saw them. Yeah. On, on the Power Windows Tour. For me, it was an unexpected revelation because I wasn't into Rush. I knew, you know, songs that were on the radio, Tom Sawyer, whatever. And uh, the only reason I got to go is because I think I was the only one who could drive. So I was like given a ticket, Steve smiling because I was given a ticket. They're like, hey, why don't you come to the show? And I'm like, okay, I guess so. I'm the only one who'll drive. So I went and like you said, Terry, changed my life. It changed my life from the second they started until the second they ended. I could not believe what I was watching. I just couldn't, I could not believe the songs that I was hearing. I just could not believe the musicianship. I just could not believe the way these guys were playing. And I just sat there, uh, you know, with my head in my hands, just astounded, agog the whole time, the whole time. And I knew like three songs and I don't think I've ever had a concert experience. Like you said, I, I definitely have gone to concerts and walked out a fan of bands that I didn't know. But I've never uh, gone to a concert and walked out a lunatic. And I think <laughs> how many shows I've been to that were really like completely non-memorable. Like I know yeah. I've seen, and not, not a knock, I'm not knocking any bands, you know, but I, I don't even want to name them because yeah, it'll seem like I'm bands. dissing them. Come on. Yeah. Like, I, like I know I've been to like a ton of like back in the day, like, the bug out society shows or something. And like, I can't, I really can't remember anything about them. And I know that they didn't suck. Cause I would probably remember that, but you get these moments, you know, and there's a few bands that have done that for me. The Rolling Stones did it for me. The first time I saw the Rolling Stones, I became like a total preordained rebel where I was like, screw you, screw everybody. I, I'm going to be like these people, you know, but rush was, was definitely a band that had such an impactful moment uh you know on my concert experience that uh yeah maybe maybe the the biggest one of the biggest bands you know that had that on me so my number one i'm gonna go with a song again and i'm gonna go the opposite of jerry the two last shows we saw at the prudential center and msg rush did losing it one of five times they did that song in their career. Yep. Fans were going crazy. It was amazing. And I was going crazy. Jonathan Dinklage on the violin. Oh, yeah. That was so good. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. And just almost in tears. I mean, I was so happy about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I know yeah. Jerry feels the same way. And I know you do too, Terry. Yeah, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And yeah, I, Jonathan was incredible. Um, I, a Jersey guy. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he, he and his family are, are from New Jersey. So what a beautiful, amazing moment that was. Yeah, incredible, incredible. And very, again, very poignant. You know, that tour for me was one of those tours where I just, for some reason, I felt like something was going to change and the tide was going to turn and that was going to be sort of our swan song. You know, I didn't think that they were going to be a band who ended up like doing a residency or, you know, some kind of big show somewhere you know, years later, I just kind of knew that it was going to be what it was, what they said it was. And, um, you know, never did we think that we would, you know, and then there would be two, you know, I, that, that I could not have predicted. And, you know, you think about it, I think Neil, it was even harder for everyone because, you know, Neil has certainly had his, his share of tragedy in his life, you know, so that, that I think that made it even sadder for the fans 
you know, knowing that he had um, had struggled um, with this, you know, at the end of his life. And uh, it just was such a sad ending, really. Yeah, he was just about to retire and start to enjoy life. And it just got the rug pulled out from under him. And his family, you know, the family that he was going to get to enjoy his second chance at a family and everything. So, yeah, that was a that was a real uh, a real chest crusher. So, Terry, you said you had some questions for us. The floor is yours. Hit us. Well, I wanted to talk to you guys about, you know, we talked about the latter years of Rush. I wanted to talk to you guys about, you know, because I, I hear this from a lot of my Rush friends. I can't believe you love so much of the 80s keyboard stuff. And, um, you know, I'm a big fan of a lot of that. I loved when Rush was on MTV. I thought it was great. I loved when Getty had the mullet, you know, <laughs> he had the Ged mullet, you know, and, and they were constantly on MTV. And I loved that there were all these like cute bands like Duran Duran and all these, you know, MTV bands. And then you got to see a buttload of Rush all the time. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to find out from you guys, if you guys felt being diehard Rush fans, that that was a period of time that um, you did not feel was as as pure and true as the other periods of Rush? Or did you understand their sort of hit-making MTV era of the band? Because I think some of my favorite Rush songs, quite frankly, come from that era. Um, I love a lot of those tunes. You know, they, they dominated MTV at a time when bands that looked like Rush did not. Well, as Jerry just recounted, our first show was at the Power Windows tour. Yep, that was the time. So we became Rush fans in 1986. Yep. When Rush was in their keyboard mode. Yep. Yeah. So those are the albums gravitate to gravitate to now. That's my album. Power Windows is my album. Yeah. And Hold Your Fire was the first album that came out after we became fans. So we love those records. Jerry, I, I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, I mean they and for me they definitely don't pale in comparison to the earlier stuff. I know that some people who might have been fans in the 70s might not like the direction they went in the 80s. But for me, it's all just part of the same continuum. Since I didn't really grow up with one you know, style over the other, I just ingested all of it in a very short period of time. So for me, it was just all, all great. I could listen to you know, Caress of Steel and then Hold Your Fire on the same day. Right yeah, me too. To Absolutely. No question about it. No question about it. And still, still watch those videos, you know, and they were always a very visual band. They always had that visual medium um, in the shows and in their videos and um, whether they were performance pieces meshed with sort of, you know, um, imagery. uh, That was always a a big part of the, you know, Rush was always an experience. It's a Rush experience as opposed to just sort of sitting there listening to the music or watching the show. You know, it's an experience and um, talking about it makes me miss it even more yeah i think one of my maybe number four on my list if there was one would have been when they they switched to like an evening with rush where they they let go of the opening act and it was just you know three hours of rush oh the best the best what we're discovering doing this podcast is that people's sweet spot for rush is when they were teenagers and the three of us we were teenagers in the 80s right So that's why we love 80s Rush. And I think if we grew up in the 70s, we might have felt a little differently about the 80s music, maybe. 
I have to tell you something. When we, when I first saw Rush, and I turned my friend, my best friend Phyllis, on to Rush. So she was another female Rush fan, but she came to the party a little bit later. Um, but literally, this is an absolute true story. We went out. And we, I'm not kidding. And we bought white kimonos. <laughs> and we wore them out. Like there's got to be photos of us somewhere in our white kimonos. And I got to tell my friend Phyllis, um, my good friend Phyllis Bartholomew, um, to listen, you know, to, to the podcast because we did go out and we did. We were massive Rush fans and we used to go see like Rush cover bands at places like the Fountain Casino and Close Encounters and all these sort of Route 35 bars. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wore white kimonos and spandexy kind of pants. And we did the whole like rush experience. I swear to you, no lie. Wow. That's yeah. cool. We never did that, Jer. <laughs> thankfully. No, not in public. <laughs> I just kind of thought of that too. Like it wasn't when could, something that I was thinking about talking about in any way, shape or form, but I was like, wait a minute. You know, I did turn my friend Phyllis on to rush and we would go to rush shows later, you know, in the, in the, in the eighties. And uh, we went out and we bought our kimonos at the mall and um, did the whole rush, you know, <laughs> Whole rush experience thing. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to see a photo of that. If you can. I got to find one. Yeah. Literally, I have to find one. She fit into the kimonos better because I'm really <laughs> small and short. So she was always like tall. She looked a lot more like like a Getty in a kimono. But we were very, very down with, you know, down with the rush experience. We would, you know, be first in line at the record store waiting to buy, you know, whatever new rush record was coming out. You got to send us your rush photos. We'll post them on Instagram when we promote the podcast so everybody yeah. can see. You and Phyllis in your kimonos. Yeah, I gotta see. I gotta. I gotta reach out to her and, and <laughs> see. We we will have a good laugh about it. But we were we were we were serious, man. We thought, you know, and and this was like our our legitimate, you know, music fandom, you know, because we, you know, we kind of we. I think we went through our period of like snubbing our nose on other people, where we're like, oh yeah, you're listening to that. We're we're listening to Rush, you know. Yeah. Um, you, you don't know what you're talking. We, you know, we, we kind of had that we're superior in our rock musical tastes, you know, you guys are listening to what, like Chilliwack or something. We're listening to Rush. <laughs> you know? I got one so. last question for you, Terry. Fast forward 50 years, we're all gone. How do you think Rush is remembered 50 years from now? What's their legacy? Ooh, well, I, I will tell you, I definitely think there's going to be a radio connection. And that's not because just because I'm a radio geek. Because if you saw the recent video, that the band put out the Fantunes video with their love of radio. Um, so whether 50 years from now radio in whatever form it is, is going to be looked at as some sort of relic remains to be seen. You know, radio has radio is like a cockroach. It sort of always survives, you know, there's always a way to have it survive and morph into something else. But um, I do think that that connection between the band and radio and fans. I think if you look up Rush 50 years from now in some kind of a music book, the main thing that is going to be really prevalent is fan, fan, fan. Because um, when I speak with newer artists and and they have a, a pretty active fan base, I always say, oh, wow, you guys are on your way to like the Rush fan base. Because I can't think of any other band in music history that has that kind of a fan base that um, is so loyal, so passionate, and just so about the band and that band experience. And I think Rush is going to be remembered as a band with that fan base and as a band who really gave something 
to radio. And I don't necessarily mean like a catalog of music. Uh, I just mean something to the medium um, as a whole. Terry, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can hear you? Because it's, you know, it's 2020. We can listen to Terry Carr from anywhere. They can anywhere in the world, my friends, anywhere in the world. WDHAFM.com is where you can find us. Of course, if you're local, it's 105.5 WDHA on your FM dial. But if you have a smart speaker or an Alexa, you can just say open DHA. You can download um, and enable the skill. You can download our app. And um, we have a really, really great stream experience um, for people because we know how important that is. So, um, yeah, please check us out. And you can email me anytime at tc at wdhafm.com and request your favorite Rush tune, and I will play it for you. There we go. At noon Eastern time, email Terry your Rush requests. When this podcast comes out, Terry, you're going to have to play all Rush for an hour. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. You know, we're getting ready to celebrate National Radio Day next week, and I'm going to do a whole giant, you know, rush celebration of the medium that I love so much and that I think that the band um, had embraced. Terry Carr, Program Director at WDHA, thank you so much for joining us on the Rush Fancast. We appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah, thanks. So, Jar, I think Terry opened up a huge rush can of worms on our podcast. Do tell, Steve, how? She gave out her email address, and now all of our listeners can make requests on the All Request Lunch Hour. Oh my God, that's right. And you know they're going to do it. Yeah, she's going to be inundated. I think she'll be happily inundated, though. And they'll come from all over. All over the world. And hopefully, uh, you know, people will listen on the web from all over the world, too. Yeah. So if you're in Scotland, you're in Great Britain, where else do we have listeners? We have listeners everywhere, Steve. So wherever you are around the world, email Terry, give her a call, make your rush requests, listen to the show, and she'll be thrilled. Yeah. And a great guest on the show as well. Great conversation. Yeah. She's always been a great person, Steve. She always has been. And she likes dogs. She loves dogs. Oh, dogs, dogs in rush. Mm, that's a tough one. They go hand in hand. Well, what, what do you like more? Dogs or rush? Is that what you're asking? Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well, they go hand in hand. Yeah. Rush is like a dog whistle. Only certain people can hear it. <laughs> oh my God. That's, did you just come up with that? I just came up with it. What do you think? Wow. I like that. I like that. They're the music dog whistle. Yeah. Some people get it. Some people don't. Right. What do you think? Uh, I think that's a t-shirt, Steve. I think we just started <laughs> our first t-shirt line. All right. Well, uh, the t-shirts are coming soon. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are the Rushcast. Email Jerry, the rushcast at gmail.com. Email Terry your rush requests. Lex did the baseline today. We appreciate that. And Jer, we always appreciate your quote. You know that. Right. And you know what the quote is going to be from. So it's no surprise here. You could probably say, do you want to say the quote? You know what I'm going to say. Begin the day with a friendly voice, right? Mm-hmm. A companion unobtrusive plays that song that's so elusive. And the magic music makes your morning mood. Exactly. Take it easy. Bye.